Okay, everybody, we're back for another episode of the Insurance Appraisal Podcast featuring the appraisal guys. I'm Neil McLaughlin, and with me is... And I'm Ed Faco. Ed Faco, once again, wealth of knowledge. Happy that we can bring this podcast to you. Uh, Before we get started, uh, just a few words. We're getting great feedback uh, from people, uh, in particular, uh, Robert Frisbee, a recent public adjuster, licensee in the states of Illinois and Indiana. Thank you for your comment, and we will get that shipped right out to you. Robert knows what we're talking about and brings us to the next uh, reason for the podcast. Uh, We had another person uh, chime in. Is that correct, Ed? Yes, I spoke with a a young lady who's a, a fellow appraiser, actually, and her name is Julie Harmon. And one thing that she had commented to me on during a phone call yesterday was uh, some of the terms that we discuss, as the, like the back of our hand, are totally unfamiliar to people that are naive about this process because they haven't had to use it, or to the homeowners that are going to be the ultimate uh, purchasers of the appraisal process. Okay, so the title of the podcast, which you've already read, it's in the description and you clicked on already, is explaining or selling, depending on the situation you're in, appraisal process to the policyholder, right? That's correct. Okay, so uh, thank you, Julie, for that. Thank you, Robert, for the comment and a few other people uh, that chimed in. We are, so first we're going to go over some basics, uh, terms and things. Would you say what, uh, what do you, well, before that, let's get started. Uh-huh. How does someone get into the appraisal process in reality? We're not hypothetical. We're not, you're not reading a textbook. We're talking about in this podcast, what happens in reality. This is realistic situations. What normally happens to get somebody into appraisal? Well, you have a insured policyholder. It could be a homeowner or it could be a commercial building property owner and various other types of properties, but they've been, uh, they feel that they have a damaged claim that merits insurable coverage losses that, that they're entitled to benefits to. The insurance carrier's adjuster or estimator that they send out comes up with a value, and that there winds up being a dispute between the total value between the two parties. Oftentimes, many property owners are not familiar with the any estimating process at all. They don't know any of those terms, the stability, the exactimate, and things like that. Most contractors across the country are very, very familiar with all these terms because it's they work with it every day. Especially if they're in the insurance restoration field, which is pretty much our audience who's listening to us. Right. I would say that you could go to a, a retail contractor convention and probably 90% of them would not even know what exactly it is. Okay. So, and then how does it, more than that though, how does it occur what what's typically going to happen say that the carrier or the insurer is not the one demanding appraisal which we know either side can demand appraisal let's say in this case it's the policyholder what's usually going to occur there well there's going to be a certain point when the insured or the policyholder they realize that the funding that they've gotten does not match up and align with any estimate or multiple estimates that they've gotten on their home oftentimes it may just be one contractor, and that contractor will have a stack of references in the local neighborhood that they've done a lot of other storm restoration work accomplished. They've had a routine set practice of getting X amount of dollars for each item and task that's prescribed by the estimating software. The contractor is really going to be the one that's informing the homeowner, you didn't get enough to pay me enough. Okay, so it will be someone uh, like our friend Robert, who recently got licensed as a public adjuster. Uh, is an adjuster will bring this to the policyholder, 
or a contractor might suggest this to a policyholder. Would you agree with that? That's usually what happens in reality. Although the insurance adjuster may pose the option to the policyholder, I would tend to think that it's very rare that they're going to do that unless they feel like their back is being pushed against the wall. They want to try to get the claim resolved. This is the number one uh, goal of any insurance adjuster is they want to close out and finalize claims. Right, because they're sitting like I was uh, uh, years back with numerous, numerous claims being put in their queue. I don't know what they're calling it now, but it used to be in your queue where it was electronically sent to you and you had a, a CRM and you were responsible for and you're getting multiple, multiple claims, uh, the majority of which don't have representation. Now, you may deal with a contractor, uh, and then even less, you'll deal with a public adjuster. At least that was the case back then. But go ahead. So then the the, uh, the adjuster or the contractor will be the person that will uh, make this available to the homeowner? Would that be a well, good let's, way to put it? Well, let's go through the process. The contractor did his estimate. The insurance adjuster did his estimate. There is a disparity between the two. Maybe there's a disparity between the scope of work. One side, the insurance carrier's representative would say, we can repair 37 shingles or one side of siding. And the contractor, due to his experience, may say the repairs are unfeasible or the siding is not matchable or the interior floor, due to the water damage that has occurred to it, sanding will damage it beyond repair and not make it to its pre-loss condition. Right. But there is coverage extended at least some po- at some amount. And they are that we're discussing the amount of loss just to make that clear to everybody. Right. That's what's really going to be at issue here at the appraisal. Correct. That is correct. And the extension of coverage is uh, is sometimes it's highly debated issue. And this is where certain insurance carriers may say, no, it's not available for appraisal because we'll appraise the 37 shingles that were damaged and the cost or value of those 37 shingles. Whereas there's a lot of case rulings that uh, oppose that. But then how do you go about, you know, defeating their, their theory and their logic? Sometimes you have to resort to contacting an attorney and have them assist you also. And we're, we're going to go ahead and discuss that probably in another episode down the line as we piecemeal this whole process of appraisal. But so let's talk about uh, some terms or some definitions or some concepts that the either public adjuster in this case or the contractor should make the homeowner aware of? Well, what would you say are well, some of these concepts? We've already terms? mentioned two two names, and but they get misquoted by the actual homeowners, policyholders very often. <laughs> when I speak with many homeowners, they confuse the, the term of who the person is that is an adjuster or an appraiser. Those to them are interchangeable. And they are they are there at different points of the insurance claim process. The insurance adjuster, also the public, insurance adjuster who works for the homeowner directly or commercial property owner directly are adjusting the claim. When it gets to the appraisal process, there is no longer an adjustment process being done. It's an, it's an evaluation of the claim. But the, the insured may be confusing those two entities and they'll contact their insurer and say, I need another appraiser to come out again, when they really mean they would like to have another inspection done by a different adjuster. So and they they it's a hard task. We we hear these terms every day. Sometimes we don't know what they don't know because we we have done this on a daily basis for a decade or more. Okay, so we should definitely define the roles of who's involved in appraisal, which we talked about in an earlier episode, and we don't want to go into that in detail as we did earlier. Uh, but certainly that and uh, the role of an umpire, 
right? That's correct. An umpire could be likened to either a judge or an arbiter, arbitrator, multiple different ways of saying the same thing. He's there to supposedly, according to the appraisal clause, only rule on the differences between the two different appraisers' estimates that were provided. Now, I, I say that with a tongue-in-cheek thing because I just read a comment today about an umpire that ruled backwards on two, two different appraisers' estimates. Okay. Went, went backwards even from the, the insurance carrier side, had one okay. had X, the policyholder side had Y, and he went below X. This is good. I'm glad you brought this up because that's the other thing we incorporate into this podcast is topical comments and things that have happened. So really when you go to appraisal, uh, as you just mentioned, if the umpire uh, is supposed to just rule on the differences, there should be the agreement, a minimal agreement. Uh, how could it be that the final award could be a determinate amount less than what was previously agreed to by a carrier representative? The umpire is not a carrier representative, and hopefully to a minor degree, neither of the appraisers representing either party are truly representatives of, of them. They're supposed to be independent. Remember that. They are allowed to be somewhat advocating their party's position, but they are not the direct representative. i got to make that point clear. But what happens this on this occasion that I read this little story about, the umpire just went rogue. Very likely that that appraisal award, if it goes to court, will get vacated and tossed out. And that puts both parties back at, at square number one now. Now, if both appraisers sign the award and essentially agree to it, that would hamper maybe the... Uh, appraisal award trying to be overturned, right? Because you have someone that's agreed to it. In this particular instance, the one appraiser who said, wait a minute, you went below the, what the other guy was even offering, he definitely did not sign that and agreed to that award. So the award would have been signed by this umpire and the insurance carrier's appraiser, but it's still objectionable. Now, there is a two-party signed award. That is the legal parameters, what you're supposed to have for a final award, a minimum of two parties. Yeah, two out of three yeah. must agree, and that's all that's needed, really. But now that brought, you know, discuss what happens now. It went backwards. Is that what it's supposed to do according to the appraisal clause? Okay. Would you suggest that if I am a public adjuster or a contractor that I bring up this instance that you just mentioned uh, when giving the insured, the policyholder, uh, all the uh, information they need to make an informed decision on a demanding appraisal. To a slight degree, I, I want them to be fully informed, but then there's sometimes there's uh, too much information being provided. You can you could create procrastination. You could uh, what's that phrase that I use where you just freeze up paralyzation by excessive paralysis by analysis. There we go. That's what the phrase I was looking for. Paralysis by analysis. And there's too much. Yeah, you have to make them aware of certain things that can happen because this is, after all, their insurance claim and their benefits that they are due. And the other thing maybe we should talk about, uh, definitely should be brought up, is the fees involved and who pays what, correct? Right. We discussed that in the other right. podcast a little bit. But since this is for the contractor to explain and the public adjuster to explain to a, a typically to a homeowner, because the insurance carrier side should be well-versed on this. So now they're going to explain what, what they are responsible for. The first fee that they're responsible for is the charge of the ins their insurance appraiser. And that could range from 
from lower mountains in, in just triple digits up to depending on the complexity of the claim and right. expertise. And they're going to be responsible for half the umpire fees. That is correct. All right. So it's important that, you know, there's a there's a, a term, you know, you're dealing your insurance, you know, as a whole is a public trust. You know, it's important that the, the public have trust in this institution of insurance. And whether someone feels like they're part of the institutional uh, uh, hierarchy or uh, scheme of insurance, they are involved uh, if they're working in this field. So it's important that at any time you're dealing with the public, uh, you, you have to deal with the highest ethical standards. Would you agree with that? That's what we're supposed to do, and that's what I try to strive for. Okay. I, I would I would think that everybody's going to say that about themselves, though. I comment that everybody feels that they are upholding to the to the highest integrity and ethics that they know of. Right. And then the idea is that you want to, because it's a public trust, you really want to explain fully, thoroughly, and competent, uh, completely to the public, especially, I, I'm going to throw this in myself just for uh, out there, for people, uh, you know, maybe not specifically in Florida, but in Florida in general, if you're going to be dealing with a lot of homeowners who are retired, you need to take that time as a homeowner, this insured, this customer, client of yours, uh, like the way you'd want someone to treat your own mother, right? Wouldn't you, would you agree with that? Yeah. When I was doing contracting, I, I did, uh, I've worked with elderly. I worked with them that had mental uh, capacities have diminished a little bit and also some ch challenge individuals. I personally went on my way, and I suggest to those, have them have somebody that they trust be around to assist them with that, that decision-making process. Right. And, and you know, just like I said, the, the, treat someone as if you'd want someone to treat a family member of yours uh, when going through this process, because uh, some of the terms can be confusing. Uh, and uh, youth, we, the people working in the industry myself and Ed included, uh, sometimes it, we have to take a minute to pause and realize that to somebody else, this is completely new and it seems uh, very basic to us, but it's the idea is that to someone else, this is the first time they've ever dealt with this subject, this, dealt with these topics, and uh, they, they really need to take some time to explain some definitions, explain the whole process. And right? not only that, it might be the first time that they've ever in their life have even had to submit to an insurance claim. They might have owned a house for 30 years and never even considered filing a claim before. So even that part of the process is totally foreign to them. Okay. And so the either side can invoke appraisal, demand appraisal. Uh, but if we're talking about a contractor or an, a public adjuster that's uh, giving the options to a policyholder, they want to go through some de basic definitions. They want to go through the process. They want to certainly talk about the fees and then the, and the potential outcomes. Would you say that would be a good general overview of some of the things they should cover? That and also that once they are obligated, you're either in or you're out. When you make the decision to do this, you proceed and you fulfill your obligations all the way through. So you're in for a penny and for a pound. And specifically, I think I know where you're going with this. But uh, let me see if I guessed right. You're probably talking about a situation where uh, if you're keeping the policyholder and or the contractor updated, uh, they can't direct the, the appraisal, but you can keep them updated, certainly during the process. Uh, and someone might make mention uh, or might say something to the effect of, 
if we can avoid the use of the umpire, it might save us some money, or let's not go to umpire. How do you answer that if something someone tells well, you? Well, that? that precise situation that you absolutely guessed correctly, because I had discussions with you two weeks ago about it. There was a, a couple that disputed whether they wanted to proceed any farther, and it caused a lot of dissension in the family, and I it was there stuck in the middle. I, I can't direct them and tell them to spend their money. I can't force them to. One of them wanted to, the other one didn't. And I sort of shrugged my shoulders. I, I cannot, I'm not allowed to be able to spend my own money because then I have a final financial investment in the claim myself. So you so you were basically caught in the middle of a, a domestic disturbance, right? It became that. Uh, between, was it a husband and wife? Yes, or, it was. Okay. And, uh, and they both have equal share and ownership of property rights in this particular They're married, so yeah. it's 50-50 state. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, that's an interesting one. Uh, and it, did it get resolved or still ongoing? It did get resolved. I uh, think that the other gentlemen that were on the appraisal panel were both fair people. So the end result was a fair result. Uh, maybe not exactly to the penny what I would have liked and maybe what it, even what I felt was deserved, but it was fair enough. I like to hear that. I like to hear because at the end of this whole ordeal, the idea is that all appraisers and umpires act professionally and bring this to resolution, bring this claim to conclusion, uh, because a lot of times once it's got to the point of appraisal, it might have already been going on for almost six months to a year or longer, correct? Yes, uh, that's the problem, too, that I don't know the time frame, and unfortunately, the, the devastating frustration, the emotions that these people go through, because I wasn't there for the previous six months, 12 months, and in some cases, one and a half years. Now, they have to be aware of this, too, because Illinois typically, by statute, has a one-year statute of limitations if they want to ever file a lawsuit on that insurance claim. Basically, once you expire your statute of limitations, you've lost your persuasive power of an attorney even jumping in and using the threat of litigation. So there are some insurance carriers that extend the statute of limitations just automatically. One of them in particular that's homebound in the state automatically grants two years. Okay. And we're not offering any names to anyone that doesn't offer right. Very good. And then, and then uh, other than that, you could do things like possibly send a preservation of rights letter or something like that that's notifying the uh, carrier that uh, you're assuming that tolling has taken place and that the clock has stopped while the good faith bargaining to determine the uh, uh, outcome of the claim and that you're expecting that the one-year requirement will kick in at the at the end or the final determination of the claim uh but again that's something that's something maybe for another podcast i don't know right yeah that probably would be a good issue to ask an attorney about too because right we definitely are going to have several attorneys that want to appear on this broadcast now. Correct, correct. And and I think it's it's necessary and could, fruitful for our audience to get the advice uh, of uh, licensed attorneys uh, working in this field that have experience. So we certainly look forward to having them. And we have some uh, people on our guest list that I think have that have that uh, moniker, right? And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when when it's time to name names, well. We'll be suggesting who has the time and available desire to be on the show. Uh, in the meantime, prior to ever going to, to use a, a lawyer, they almost all will give you a free consultation. It might be a 10-minute consultation. It might be half an hour. I can't speak for them, but they can give you some darn good advice from a lawyer's perspective. Right. Uh, so we're going to uh, not beat a dead horse here, but we did want to go over 
the ideas of what is important when explaining the process of appraisal to the policyholder and making an informed decision is very important. Uh, as we touched on before, uh, once you're in appraisal, really uh, the only two options in my mind that you have, if someone was presenting me with the options that you got presented with, uh, saying I, they didn't want to utilize umpire, they don't want to do these things, uh, is so we're withdrawing from appraisal and you can go back and accept the amount that was initially offered. That could be one option. Or the section, second option is to say, well, we're in appraisal now, and unfortunately, being in appraisal, it's not your decision, but the decision of either of the appraisers whether or not to invoke the umpire, which is an important point that a lot of people working in appraisal sometimes don't even understand. It's not necessary to have a consensus between the two appraisers to ask for the umpire. One side can unilaterally say, we're, we are, are, are need your assistance, please uh, this is our differences. Please make this decision for us on what you feel is fair. Correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and that could catch the other guy off guard. But guys that are not experienced with this might even say, wait a minute, you can't do that. But it can and does happen. Right. So, <clears throat> and then sometimes uh, you have no choice but to then inform uh, the insured uh, that you are submitting differences to the umpire. Uh, and we really don't have an option to pull back, as as it were. At that point, I think you have uh, once the the uh, umpire has been requested to step in after they've previously been named. You always name the umpire at the onset of the appraisal. You never want to wait until there's a difference or a argument and then name the umpire. Well, I would say what you're saying is the proper procedure to do it. There and it even technically is by definition in the insurance appraisal clause, the standard version. That that is the next thing after you demand appraiser, after the two parties name their appraisers, then the two appraisers shall agree upon an umpire. But I, I in think, consequential order, that's who, what that gets done next. There are people that skip that step because right. it saves time. Yeah, I think that's uh, that shows lack of experience, maybe, or lack of understanding. Inevitably, it leads to problems down and the road. I don't think it can lead to anything but problems because. How then do you decide to then start booking an appraisal after the other person or both sides have shared their arguments with them? Uh, I, I think that that is a, uh, a uh, what would you say, rookie mistake uh, in appraisal? Maybe just being naive and thinking that good things will still come. The way I look at it is if you can't even come to an agreement on a simple thing is just naming a, a third party person to be the person to, to, to split the difference and, and choose who is more closer to the proper valuation? How are you going to choose one after you've already been in a little bit of embitterment about those And values? I think it helps also to kind of establish the platform to say, we're in consensus, we're in agreement on choosing this umpire. Now you've found some common ground, and then you can work from there, Ramey, to to adjudicate the appraisal, correct? That's right. And there's times where I've had uh, multiple appraisals going on with the same opposing appraiser. And I use the word opposing only because there's two different sides. They usually are not my opposition. They are just on the opposing side. And we've come to agreement that we said, okay, on this one, we'll choose this guy. And on this one, we'll choose this guy. One might come from my list. One might come from his list. But all of this, I just want to make sure that we don't get off track. But this is intended for the contractor and public adjuster to inform their insured policyholder. So have we covered everything that they should be telling them? I think so. I think we can kind of wrap it up here. So 
in closing, what do we want to get across to our audience to keep those comments coming in? If you have show ideas or guests well, that, or anything that you think is relevant to the appraisal insurance appraisal field, you can make a comment it. right on this podcast. The go if you have the app downloaded, you you can go right there and make a comment down at the bottom. Secondly, we have provided our our uh, email addresses in the past, and for myself, Edward Faco, the the, the email address is insurance claim appraisals with an S at the end of that word, insurance claim appraisals at gmail.com. And Neil's going to give you the, the website that you can also do the contact us form. Right. So uh, because we've had a nice response from our audience, we have decided to put up a uh, website to make it even easier. On the website, there's actually a page that has the podcast on that you can listen to all the episodes. It also has a blog for you to make your comments, which we really encourage. Uh, but the name of the website is simply the appraisal guys. Dot com and that's T H E A P P R A I S A L G U Y S dot com. The appraisal guys. That's it. All right. So we're gonna sign off for now. We wish you well. Keep the comments coming. Check out our website. And please give us show and topic ideas that you'd like to hear. We really want you to become involved and an integral part of this podcast. Until next time. Goodbye for Neil McLaughlin and Ed. Say goodbye. Good night from Ed Fakel.